It's the Product Highs Podcast. My name is Brian Castle. Thank you for tuning in. I appreciate it. So before we get into today's interview, I'm trying something new this year on the podcast where over on my YouTube channel, I started answering questions that I received from readers of my newsletter. So anybody can reply to any of my email newsletters with a question for me about business or anything else, and I will answer it over on my YouTube channel. I've been tinkering with a home video recording setup. I'm trying to up my game a little bit over there, still obviously figuring it out, but yeah, it's coming along and I think the videos are coming out okay. But what I'm also doing here is I will be playing some of the audio clips from those YouTube videos here on the podcast. So today, here is my answer to, to a reader's question. Hope you enjoy it. And then after that, we will dive into today's interview. How do you hack uncertainty? Today, I want to share three mental hacks that I use to make decisions and keep my business moving forward, even when things feel uncertain and unpredictable. Hi there, Brian Castle here, trying out this new video studio here in my home office, still figuring it out, of course, so uh, I appreciate you you bearing with me. Today, I want to talk about a topic that has got to be on the front of all of our minds, especially here in 2020 with this global pandemic crisis, you know, spreading throughout the world. We're just dealing with a ton of uncertainty and maybe the highest level of unpredictability that we've ever seen. And, you know, when you're running a business and you're trying to make sense of it all and trying to to project how the rest of the year is going to go, let alone this month or maybe this week or day, it's just really, really hard to keep moving forward and keep making forward progress in, in a climate like this. But when I think about making decisions with incomplete information, sometimes little or no information, well, that's nothing new, right? I mean, when we're building a business, that's what it is. That's what this job is. It's making decision after decision after decision with incomplete information. And when things become extra unpredictable and extra uncertain, that gets a lot harder. And so I want to share with you three mental hacks that I have tried to hone over the years, but that I especially lean on heavily when times like this come around where things are unpredictable and uncertain. So the first mental hack is to default to yes. You know, just take action, just do it. Maybe that sounds simplistic, maybe it sounds obvious, but the the point that I wanna share with you here is you need to learn to trust your gut. And, you know, we all have questions that we're faced with every day, like what's going to happen? Should I do option A or should I go with option B? I've got this, I think, a a pretty good idea. Should I go with it, should I do it? Or is that a terrible idea? Like, we don't, we don't really know these answers. We're always asking these questions, and maybe we're bringing these questions to our advisors, our mastermind groups, our partners, our team, sometimes our spouse, our friends. And you're asking for feedback. You're asking for advice. Maybe you're asking for confirmation or a sanity check. Well, these are all really good things to do. Obviously, you, you should seek out that feedback and advice from, from the people that you trust. But just keep in mind that you... Coming to the table with that question means that you're already 50% of the way there. Something in your own gut, some of your own information that you've gained through throughout your experience has led you to even come up with the right question to ask and to present it, kind of pitch it as a potential action that you could take. So recognize that, you know, something in your gut brought you there. And more times than not, you're you're better off continuing down that path, that initial direction that you started to follow in the first place. That's usually the better path than secondary or third options where you're really just kind of second guessing yourself. Maybe you're taking an action that somebody else did, but that you don't fully trust yourself. That's where your gut comes in. But so then you must be asking, well, how do we improve our own gut instincts? How do we learn to trust that? Well, that brings me to mental hack number two, and that is to make more decisions faster. This is something that I really struggled with early on. You know, I'd be facing a a decision. Should I go one way or, or the other? And I would just sit there and wait. I would feel paralyzed, you know, feeling like I don't have enough information for me to be able to make the decision. And I would just wait and hope that new data points would magically reveal themselves. And what I learned is that just waiting around for more information to to come to you is not very helpful. And in fact, it kind of works against you because it starts to make you second guess and question your instincts rather than run with them. You know, it's kind of like baseball, right? I mean, the more at bats that you have, the more experience that you gain, the better you become as a hitter and a player. And, and over time, your batting average increases. 
right? Same is true with decisions. The more decisions that you make, the more comfortable you get with making decisions rapidly and your, your batting average increases. You, you, you make better decisions over time thanks to making a lot of decisions. But still, we come back to that question, how do you actually make decisions when you have little or no information? You know, we don't want to just be like shooting in the dark, kind of randomly guessing at things, right? Well, here's mental hack number three, and that is to just start. You know, when you're faced with a big new project, a big new endeavor, like, you know, creating a new product, launching a new business, it might feel like you have 50 steps ahead of you, a year or more of work ahead of you. And before you even get started, all of that feels so daunting because it's, it's a huge thing. It's just like a huge rock standing right in front of your path. But if you put the big finish line aside for a second and just try to focus, just try to bite off those first two or three mini steps, just get started on those. The act of, of going through those first steps will give you both information that you could use and momentum to head into steps four, five, and six, and 10, and 20. One of the mistakes that I used to make and sometimes still make these days is I'll think about all 50 steps that need to get done, and I'll plan them all out in detail before I even get started with the early ones. And actually, that results in a few problems. One is confirmation bias. Since I worked on all these plans, I want these plans to work. And if they are not the right things to do, I'm still going to try to make them work and I'll just end up with the wrong result. The other thing that happens is without actual data points that I gain from that I gain along the way, I'm making the wrong assumptions and I end up having to redo all that work. So you're much better off taking those early steps. You know, maybe it's talking to customers and you'll hear some new questions and objections that you weren't aware of before and that can give you better information to, to adjust your product, adjust the, the offer, maybe adjust your positioning or how you explain it. You know, things like that can really go a long way to help you build on these small wins and make better choices, take better steps and keep moving forward more rapidly without getting hung up on, well, would this work or that work? I don't know, we'll try it. You know, that's, that's the whole idea here. One last tip that I'll leave with you, kind of a bonus tip is just to keep in mind that there are very few things that you cannot undo. I mean, I actually have a hard time thinking about things that you commit to and that you're stuck with for life. I mean, there, there, are, there are very few things like that, especially in, in business. And so when we're talking about making decisions rapidly, you're much better off choosing one, one way or the other. And that's even better than, than making no choice at all. Because even if you make the wrong choice, you could always back yourself out and then go another direction. Maybe you lost a few days or, or, or some time to that initial path, but it's not a complete failure because you learned something, right? That you, you got some, some feedback, some, some information that you can now use to apply to a better decision next time out. So those are the mental hacks that I use to make decisions more confidently, more rapidly, especially in times like this when things are extra unpredictable and extra uncertain. So if this gave you something to think about, I'd love to hear it. Leave a comment below and I will read and reply to every single one. And go ahead and subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. I'd appreciate that. Today on the show, I'm talking to Harry Morton. He's the founder of Lower Street. That's lowerstreet.co. They are a podcast production company, a premium podcast production company, as, as we talk about in the show. And what that really means, because, you know, when you listen to all these podcasts out there on, on the internet, it sounds so easy, right? It, we, we consume this stuff and it's just nice to listen to, but there's so much work that goes into behind the scenes. And we, we really dug into what really goes into those kinds of podcasts that you hear, like, like NPR-style podcasts or BBC. But also we covered how Lower Street produces quality podcasts for businesses. We talked about internal private podcasts, which are very interesting. And of course, the business model behind all of this, the pricing, the packages, the people, the process. You know how we roll here on the Productize podcast. Let's dig right into it. Here's my conversation with Harry Morton. Harry, how's it going? I'm good, Brian. How you doing? Yeah, great to have you on. Thanks for having me. You are the founder of LowerStreet.co. It's a podcast, or as you, as you put it on your website, it's, it's a premium podcast production service. Right, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's cool. I, I'm excited to talk to you about this because I feel like right now, and especially for the past couple of years, obviously like podcasting in general is so hot, but we're seeing productized services. I mean, you know, you're one of several pretty well-known like podcast production services that are out there. Yep. But yeah, it'll be interesting to kind of like dig into this model. And I know every one of, uh, of these services has like a unique differentiator and unique type of client. So, so yeah, we'll, we'll get into all of that. Awesome. 
you know, but like the other interviews that I'm doing these days, like here we are, we're, it's, it's April 2nd, 2020, when we're recording this. So, you know, we can't really ignore the fact that we are right in the, in the thick of this thing with, with right. the, the pandemic uh, crisis out there. I mean, how are things by you and, and where are you and, and what's, what's life like for you right now? Yeah. So we, I'm, I'm here in the UK. Um, we are in current sort of lockdown. I guess you could call it lockdown light. It's not like our uh, European friends who maybe literally can't leave the house unless, you know, they have a, a really specific reason. We, we kind of are, you know, instructed to remain at home, but we can leave to, to go shopping and um, go to see the doctor and, and kind of things like that. So yeah, and, and from a business perspective, the impact is yet to, to hit. Any noticeable impact is, is yet to come. We seem to be cruising at the moment, but definitely kind of thinking about how we need to stay kind of conscious of how things are changing and, and how we can adapt in the future. We've had a, like a few clients kind of mention, hey, we're wondering about how we can kind of reduce our spend here and there, but we've had no sort of concrete kind of impacts as yet. So we're just kind of, uh, yeah, trying to stay stay flexible and uh, and kind of adjust as as things come up i think as you've mentioned like podcasting is a an innately kind of remote uh, medium for to consume so i think there's there's still an ongoing demand for that stuff but um yeah yeah that's kind of what we're thinking about at the moment yeah it's interesting like we were we were talking about it offline a little bit and you know it's weird like in times like these i feel like there there are large parts of the population that that maybe listen to more podcasts. And then of course, you've got commuters who, who are not commuting anymore. So, so maybe they're not on, on the headphones as much as they used to be. But the, it seems to me that more companies would be podcasting more. Or, right. And, and there would be more reasons to either start a podcast or continue podcasting. I know that, I mean, I, I host this podcast and I co-host another one. And we're getting on the mic as much as possible. Mm-hmm. And I know that I'm listening to other business podcasts, you know, because I'm out walking my dog trying to get up out of my house for a couple minutes a day. Yeah. You know, it's it, and and like we were talking about, like you're also seeing private podcasts and like internal business podcasts, especially as more businesses are going remote. That's a really great way to uh to stay in touch with your coworkers or with your your people. Exactly. Yeah. There's a there's a bunch of reasons. I think like we're seeing Certainly from our perspective as a business, like we're really taking this opportunity to double down on content and um, and kind of really use this downtime or at least this this time where we can't be some, doing some of the other things that we, we would normally be doing to really kind of yeah, just continue to put out valuable stuff that, that people need and, and will put us in good stead in, in a few months time. And I think a lot of companies are feeling the same way. I think they're thinking, okay, well, we can't be sponsoring these events that we had planned this year. We can't be kind of going out and networking and doing all this in-person, you know, sales trips and all that kind of stuff. So what content can we be making, you know, to, to put out there that'll, that'll, you know, maybe valuable right now, but also will be putting us in really great stead in the future. And so, yeah, we've certainly seen kind of an uptick in, in kind of interest in that side of things. And to your point, yeah, the internal podcasting, I think it, this is a really interesting problem for a lot of us kind of digital agencies like, like yours and mine and, and many others in the community, it's it's like we are sort of natively digital, right? It's where our businesses were born. And so I think we're in a kind of a pretty unique position to to help some of these more traditional businesses, you know, stay relevant, stay connected, stay productive um, in a remote, remote environment. And so, yeah, I think some of these kind of, um, you know, I, I constantly think about how lucky we are, how kind of nimble we can be as as small kind of tiny startups to to sort of say, okay, well, this this impact is we don't know what the impact is going to be, but this huge event is taking place, but we can make really quick pivots and adjustments to our business to kind of adapt to that. And I think some of the larger enterprise businesses that that we might work with aren't able to to sort of move as nimbly as that. And and so we're kind of really in a great position to to help. Um, and I think, you yeah. know, so as you've mentioned, internal podcasting is a, is a great channel for, for big businesses like that. And uh, yeah, hopefully that'll uh, see us through the next <laughs> the next period here. Yeah, you know, and like internal podcasts or private podcasts are are something that I've I've been really interested in for a while. I mean, mm. obviously they're great for for a remote company or a remote team. I'm I'm actually also part of a group of uh, like a handful of of friends and like business advisors, and we have it's kind of like a mastermind group, but we have our own private podcast. Awesome, and it's kind of our way of, of having that like asynchronous personal updates or you know asking for for business advice and things without us having to actually meet and take time out of our schedule to all get on a zoom call we could just listen to it and then like chat about it in, in slack so i love it's, that it's that's really cool. cool and is that kind of did you do that as like a monologue or do you all jump on a call and kind of have a discussion or is it how does that play out 
different ways. Like sometimes, you know, two or three of us will, will hop on the mic together. A lot of times it's just a single person and it's just like a five minute update or a question for the group. Mm-hmm. And the way that we've set it up is, and, and there's like, uh, I don't know, like 10 or 15 of us in this group, like we all have access to the feed. Mm-hmm. So any of us can record and publish at any time. That's awesome. And any of us can listen at any time. So, And it's all like just hacked together where we just drop an MP3 in a Google Drive folder sure. and then, you know. That's beautiful. I think that's a, that's a great use case. I think there's a lot of really interesting uses for, for private podcasting. I see like a lot of content creators doing it for kind of their, they might have like a Patreon group and, and so they can sort of send uh, content specifically to them or it might be a membership group. So like part of maybe productized, there might be sort of, um, you know, private content that's just for that kind of community and, and that kind of thing as well. You know, I was going to, I was going to say that because yeah, I, I think that would be awesome to have like a private feed just for the, just for the members in, in the productized group. Yeah. But in, in general, like getting back to the public side of, of podcasting, I've always thought of like, yes, obviously podcasting is content creation, if, if you will, like it's mm-hmm. a way of like putting out more content onto the internet. Right. But I feel like podcasts are so linked to the idea of community. Yes. Because if I if I think about all the communities that I'm a part of, like I'm I'm pretty active in the microconf community and the and the bootstrapped business community and things and and the way that I even ever heard of of things like that is by listening to the Startups for the Rest of Us podcast. Yep. Or the Tropical MBA podcast turned me on to the Dynamite Circle. Or, you know, um, and, and now like the productized uh, community that, that, that I have here is, you know, kind of linked with this podcast. And it's, I, I think it's a really great way for people to discover communities and then discover people like guests who come on the podcast. And then these are like actual personalities that you can start to get to know over the air and follow along. And that's a way of, of building community on, on the web. Absolutely. Yeah. The same goes for me, by the way, you know, like podcasting was my way into this into this online business community in the first place. You know, I started, you know, I'm not sure if I should be uh, proud or ashamed, but I kind of, my, my, my first toe dipped into this community was uh, through Pat Flynn, which led me to Tim Ferriss, which led me to sure. Startups for the Rest of Us, which led me to TMBA and, and even uh, your, your um, podcast Bootstrap Web with uh, Jordan Gull. And, and, and then, you know, that really was sort of a, a gateway, I guess, into this whole kind of, you know, online business community, which, um, yeah, it's yeah, true. also. Sure. So yeah, let's let's get into Lower Street a little bit. Um, the, sure. You know, the site is lowerstreet.co. Mm-hmm. I guess he looked for the .dot com and <laughs> yep. couldn't, couldn't yep. grab it. It's being held by an old gentleman in uh, the UK somewhere who I guess also used to live on a street called Lower Street, which is why we uh, named the business that. And uh, he's he's holding on to it. He's not using it, but he's not letting go. So sadly, .dot <laughs> co it is. Yeah. I was going to ask about the name. I mean, it must be something local to where you're from or something. Right. Yeah. It's the street I grew up on as a kid. Yeah. That's, uh, Very cool. that's pretty much the reason. So, you know, l- like I said, like there are a lot of these, like, you know, when it comes to podcast production, you can, you know, you can find individual freelancers, you can work with like an agency or productized service to get this sort of thing done. I've, I've worked with several different ones o- over the years, different mixes and matches of, of this type of stuff. Like what makes Lower Street a little bit different? I understand you, you kind of work with businesses and brands. Right. Yeah, where, where do you see like your kind of like carved out? part of this market yeah because i mean as you mentioned like there is no shortage of competitors in this space um it's one of the things that to be honest encouraged me to to start it in the first place was knowing that there you know there was a demand for this kind of service um so i wasn't really put off by that but there's definitely the the, the question of differentiation because it is on the face of it kind of a pretty low barrier to entry podcast editing you know you can be set up with a simple audio editing software and um call yourself a, an agency pretty quickly actually and so, so, so really kind of what I've, the journey I've been on over the last three years is thinking, how do we kind of really not just differentiate, but really kind of evidence the fact that we would suggest that we're like a premium service. Um, you know, really what we do is we help, it can be high ticket consultants, agencies through to enterprise businesses and startups, but we're really kind of positioning ourselves as the, the company to co- come to, if you want to make the best podcast in your uh, kind of industry. And so, you know, that can mean all sorts of things from, you know, the level of research we put into to help you kind of prepare for your interview in the first place through to some things in post-production. And we, we can talk more about that, but really it's what the challenge I found and I'm, I'm sort of um, coming through right now is it, at the beginning, we just sort of said, we are a premium service and people said, sure, okay, why? And we just go, well, because. <laughs> and so 
you you realize like it's actually quite hard for people come to us as a podcast agency because it's an area that is not their expertise they don't know much about this industry and so my background as an audio production person i did um, music technology at university so i've kind of been an audio nerd all my life i can if i listen to two shows and one is is poor quality and one is high i can immediately tell the difference but i and i guess i assumed that everybody else would also be able to tell that difference but that's not the case so just by saying that we make a more polished show you know an end client might not necessarily know be able to tell that difference and it's really becomes kind of an education piece around you know what makes a great podcast and and how do we help yours kind of really stand out from the crowd and so that's what we're that's what we're trying to do now yeah very cool and i mean it, you know if, if anyone has ever tried to start their own podcast or run it uh, you know completely themselves you learn really quickly i mean you know once you get past the initial technical barriers mm. of just figuring out like how to how to pl- get which mic to get, how to plug it in, how to get listed on iTunes, like all that stuff is complicated enough. But once you get past all that and you just start creating episodes, you quickly realize like how many little things need to happen, right? right? It's yeah. not just it's not just recording and putting that into Dropbox. I mean, it's writing show notes, it's audio editing, it's it's optimizing the audio, it's music it's artwork it's you know publishing and i mean right and it's and it's doing that consistently and it's doing that consistently each week you know and that's that becomes a, a real kind of task you know but but even even that like the the just doing a, a simple interview format show you know once you get into that groove it it can be kind of a manageable thing i think the real kind of challenge comes when you think how do we make a show that's differentiated from all the other shows in our in our sort of space like I think most industries now will have a, a a pretty solid set of interview shows around their given topic, and so you know, once we as we're now hitting that, I think it's uh, nine hundred thousand podcasts that exist out there at the moment, which you know, by the way, pales in comparison to the amount of video content going up on YouTube and blogs and so on. So you know, that's nothing to to worry about too much. But still, there's loads of choice, right? And so I think the conversation we're always having with clients is. Sure, you could make another interview show and speak to the same kind of people that do the circuits in your niche on all the other ones. But you know, the, I think the real challenge is that the real barrier is is kind of getting over that that hurdle and and making something that's kind of really differentiated. Yeah, I think you and I were talking about this a couple of weeks ago about like guests and and guest interviews. Mm. And you know, I was telling you about how I'm in the planning for this podcast, the Productize podcast. You know, there there are a lot of people I know, like like you and, and others who some of them come from the productized community, some of them are just people that I know or follow, and I can easily invite them on as guests. But that list runs out very quickly. And if right. I'm gonna keep publishing episodes, you know, through the rest of the year, I'm gonna need a continuous stream of of good quality guests. And not only finding the people, but doing some background research on them, because that that is also a lot harder for someone like me. Like you, I, I know, and, and, and you've been in the community, and we've chatted before, so I sort of know your business, and mm-hmm. it's easier for me to interview you. But a stranger who might be very interesting and has done really interesting things, if I know nothing about them, I need to spend an extra like hour or two just right. and, reading and that's up what, on them. That's what, we've, that's what we find is just like makes more difference than almost any anything else. You know, that's the, the like, if we're talking about quick wins to make your show much better, that is just by far and away the biggest one, going into an interview prepared. What I always tell clients is it's very easy to sit down with a a person that's an expert in in their given subject and just kind of riff on that for half an hour and and put out a a pretty average show. But what what sets a really good interviewer apart and makes a really good show is, is real preparation and thinking in advance. What is the story I want this guest to tell? Like, what is the unique value they have to offer my audience? Why is it relevant? And how can we present that to them in the best way possible? And that comes down to a lot of preparation. It in- involves kind of researching the guest and their background, their expertise, yep. the kinds of things you want to go into them. And having what I, I the, the thing I always say to clients is like, you want to go into that interview knowing exactly what they're going to say before they say it. And your job as an interviewer is to elicit those responses that you know that they've got in them. <laughs> yeah. And I think someone that's, that's able to do that. I mean, if you listen to, I don't know, let's say Guy Raz on how I built this, for example, like, you know, Everything the guest says, they, obviously, there's always going to be unexpected stories that come up and some some really interesting twists and turns. But more or less, for that half an hour show, he knows what's going to come out of the interview because he and his team have done a huge amount of research beforehand. Yeah. I think that's that's one that's what really kind of sets you know an interview from a good one from a great one. 
Yeah, for sure. I've been a fan of of Andrew Warner with with Mixergy for a long time, and yep. And I've I've been interviewed on there, so I've gone through like the pre interview process, and it's it's incredible like how much extra effort and and process they put into the preparation for every one of these episodes. Yep. As a as a casual listener, you you know you might not realize how much extra hours of, of work really goes into that. Right, and it's awesome, but you can tell with the end product, right? Like it's just an awesome oh, show. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yep. But I, I, from what I remember, it, correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, you were telling me about how some, with some of your clients, you do that guest outreach or guest research for your clients. Is is that yeah, right? That is right. Yeah. So yeah, go ahead. If you, I don't know if that was well. I what was what was interesting to me about that was how you know these are businesses, right? And they're and they're creating a podcast as a content or marketing channel for their business. Mm. And so I think you explained it to me about how it's sort of like a typical lead gen outreach where it's like you're just finding people who would be good candidates as customers for that client's business. But by that very nature, they would also make a good guest because other customers would would relate to hearing from them. Is, is that right? Exactly. Yeah. This is one of the best use cases we see for podcasting when it comes to kind of agencies and consultants is kind of basically what the, one of the struggles we kind of encountered working with clients after a while is they start a podcast because they want to put valuable content out there to kind of, you know, get some, some SEO. They might want to extend their network by using the platform to kind of reach different people. But the conversation quite often came back to, well, I'm not getting many listeners to my show. Like there's, you know, and, and in many cases, it's their, their show is super niche, like it's targeted at a really small group, but they kind of looked at the numbers each week and they were kind of disappointed. And I, I was kind of really struggling with, you know, how can we, how can we prove that there's value in this asset? Because I was just so confident that it was something that if you would continue doing, you know, the value would, would always sort of come through. So what I saw other shows doing and what we've started doing with clients was actually saying, okay, well, how can we, as a consultant or agency, how can we move the value further closer up the chain so that you're getting the value immediately as soon as you could have kind of produce this show rather than waiting for the audience growth to happen which can take time with podcasting and then some sort of serendipitous lead comes as a result of it that's hard to kind of measure and kind of attribute to the podcast and so the, the approach that works really well is yeah as, as exactly as you've said is rather than speaking to guests who might be experts in your space and then putting out great content which leads to listeners it's actually speak you know the guests themselves are um, ideal leads for your business. And so, you know, if you, for example, uh, one of our clients, his clients are CIOs. So, you know, quite hard to reach individuals within large scale organizations. Um, and so he uses the podcast platform as this uh, amazing mechanism for using, he gets to reach out to CIOs in his industry who are kind of really receptive to that because it's not like a sales call. It's not sort of someone asking for nothing. It's him saying, hey, right. I've got this platform. You can promote yourself and the work that you do to to our community. Yeah, it's it really is like a win-win. Totally. You know, just to get on on the call, I mean it, it it's exposure for for both sides of the conversation. You exactly know? right. So then as an interviewer, you're having an hour-long conversation with a, a really qualified great lead. Um and and of course the conversation you have is producing awesome content for your audience. So yeah, that's that's definitely something we see that that works really really well. Yeah, and then, you know, again it, it sort of like ties back to that idea of like community as marketing for a business, right? Because if, if let's say you're you're another CIO in this industry, right? You know, like all of a sudden you, you you find out about this podcast where you're hearing other people who do what you do exactly on, on air or or in in that job. I mean, you know, I, like that's how I listen to podcasts. I love listening to interviews with other business owners who are right at around my stage. You yep. know, I'm, I'm more, I'm more interested in that than like the big, huge success stories, to be honest. I completely agree. And and I think sometimes there's even an aspect of voyeurism as well. Like it might be someone that's a competitor of yours and you're really interested to know what they're talking about, or it might be someone who's got a really similar business, but in a slightly different niche. And you just kind of want to get an insight into, into how they, they sort of run things and manage things. And, um, I think, yeah, there's a bunch of reasons that it makes it kind of uh, really sticky. Yeah. Very cool. Just a minute to tell you about process kit. If your operation needs to become more efficient and more predictable so that your team never lets anything fall through the cracks, then it's time to implement Process Kit. Process Kit is process-driven project management software made for powering client services businesses. It's especially designed with productized services in mind. Create powerful SOPs with built-in if this then that automations, and then use those processes to power all of your repeatable projects. Whether you're managing a pipeline of new clients onboarding to your service, 
or tracking weekly deliverables, sales proposals, marketing assets, or admin work. ProcessKit is your team's place for getting it all done, but more importantly, done right. Use our powerful Zapier integration to hook ProcessKit into all of your other systems. And if you'd like expert help with improving your processes and automations, ask about our ProcessKit implementer service. Request your free demo and trial at processkit.com. So yeah, I'd like to get a little bit into like the pricing and packaging of, of this service. One, one thing that I noticed as I look at your website, and this is kind of something that comes up with all the guests here, it's like half the time they're showing their prices on their website and half the time they're not. It's kind of like behind a, a request a quote form or, right. or request a consultation. From what I can tell, it looks like you're not really showing prices on That's your right. website currently. Yep. Yeah, I mean, why don't we start there? Like, like, what, what's your thinking behind showing or not showing the prices? Yeah, this is something I've grappled with since day one. And yeah, as a, as a, as a person that's taken the productized course and knows audience ops, your product relatively well from the outside, at least, uh, I, I kind of looked at, at the audience ops site and, and your pricing and kind of thought, ah, oh, you know, maybe I should be doing that. But it just felt at the beginning, it felt risky. It felt like I was kind of showing my hand and I didn't want to do that. What I've subsequently realized is for the kind of market we're going after, the, the sort of more uh, premium market, that the price point kind of doesn't necessarily make sense to show it. And, and that's for a couple of reasons. In some cases, it's because, you know, the, the pricing is is going to be somewhat custom and, you know, we are a productized service, but there is an element in, in some places of it being kind of custom on the front end and, and productized on the back end. And so we're able to kind of tweak certain requirements and, and, you know, quite frankly, some businesses, the value is there's more value for an enterprise business in reducing a podcast than there is for perhaps, a, you know, a small three person agency. And so it didn't feel fair to, to price everyone equally. And if we were able to provide, you know, if there was more value for one person versus another, it seemed reasonable to, to sort of charge for that. So that's one of the reasons we've kept it flex, flexible. It also just as part of our kind of sales funnel. We think it's easier to, to sort of capture leads on the front end and then kind of nurture them through and kind of educate them on why our, our, our pricing is the way it is. I think a lot of people could potentially see our pricing, compare us to some of our, our kind of competitors they might find on Google and say, well, this is just, you know, three times the price. Why am I, why am I looking at this? And it's important for us to kind of help the, the potential client, the lead to understand, you know, what they're paying for, or, you know, or why paying more is, is worth, worth it for them. Yeah, this is really interesting. You know, for those listening, if, if you heard my other interview with Sam Shepler, who who does the uh, the video service, who who's also uh, it's a vid- uh, video testimonials right. uh, testimonial hero. Yeah, and they, cool. they too are are aimed at at selling to enterprise with you know a higher price point. And and as we discussed on that podcast, basically the same thing. He was saying exactly what you were just saying. I think number one, when you're dealing when you're selling to enterprise, the price points are just going to be higher, right? By that very nature, and so that alone makes it a little bit you know, weird to, to just put those, those price points on the website. It's not like that's like a benefit to, to sell on the website. Exactly. Uh, but it, it almost sort of like implies by not showing the, the, the prices that they, they must be premium or they must be like enterprise level prices. That's right. And, and, and I spent a lot of time in the early days as well, just thinking, oh, but maybe it's a good filter, you know, maybe it's a good way to, for us to sort of, if we say, Hey, look, our pricing is, is X, then it would kind of put off the people that aren't a good fit for us on the front end and kind of save us that that time and effort, but we've ended up keeping it kind of yeah. off. Well, that, that was initial. actually going to be my next question is like, how do you qualify or filter the leads? I mean, do you get a lot of requests that are just completely out of the ballpark in terms yeah, of price? We, we do because, and so this is what we're, we're you know, our, our website, depending on how soon this podcast goes out, our, our website is currently under under kind of updating. We're, we're working with a copywriter, uh, Leanna Patch, actually, who I think you've worked with, who's, who's really oh, yeah, awesome. Great. So we're working on some new new copy for the site to, to really kind of help basically people to self-identify and and kind of really highlight what we are and who we, who we are best fit for. But I've forgotten where I was going. Sorry, Brian. What we what was the question? Well, yeah. So so uh, if you're getting like like consultation requests and they have no idea what you charge, right? right. So that's what I'm saying. Like, do, like, do you even get to a point where you're where you or or a salesperson is actually on a call with someone and they're thinking, oh, this is a hundred dollar a month service when it's way more than that? Yeah, I, I frustratingly I have to admit that that does has happened and does still continue to happen, and and that's kind of why I was talking about the <laughs> that's what led me to talk about Leanna and the website is that we're hoping that that can kind of address some of those issues. I think podcasting by its nature attracts, and and that's one of the reasons I love the medium. Like I, I have no um no qualms with it, uh, but uh, it 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 is kind of an indie industry. There's lots of people that kind of 
make podcasts for a passion project in their bedroom and that's great and I, I want those shows to exist but that's not this kind of client that we can help so we, we but it means we do get a lot of kind of requests from people like that who kind of just want to do a self-started side project in their bedroom and so we've kind of put things in place through the the kind of intake form and or not the intake form the sort of request a consultation form that kind of help us to filter people out and uh, kind of send follow-up questions to make sure that someone's a fit before uh, we jump on the call and it's, it's that's me by the way I don't have any kind of help with sales at the moment and so yeah we're able to filter pretty well but sometimes you know these leads creep through and and people's expectations don't match what what we've got to offer so it's a constant kind of evolving of the of that kind of funnel basically to help try and like i said before educate the client and and kind of really make it clear who we're for and who we're not for critically yeah so i mean like somebody fills out this request a consultation form and i understand you know this your website is going through a redesign so i'm not sure how this is going to look in the future but currently it's like you can sort of select from a few different services that you're interested in and then can you tell us like where do things go from there after i guess you know once you once you're starting to talk to somebody can you walk us through like your packages and price and maybe give us a sense of the pricing or, or ranges, uh, you yep. know, with the caveat that everybody's pricing changes. So I don't know when you're going to be listening to this. Sure. But then like really just how, how do you go through that, that process of putting together the numbers for a potential client? Right. So, so yeah, the next step after you request a consultation, we'll have a bunch of zaps and, and so on that will forward you through to our if you know we have a couple of filters and if if you hit those then you go straight to to my calendly link and then you can book a time into the calendar if if there's kind of a, still a couple of questions outstanding then I'll do some follow up and find out if this person is indeed a fit what we don't have but I'm in the process of working through is is like a, a then a follow up sequence that prepares the 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 lead for the sales call that really kind of basically outside outlines a a kind of indication of pricing i guess um and also really makes it clear that how the process works i think there's, I, I don't know how it is in the sort of written content world for you, Brian, but for, for us in podcasting, there's a lot of kind of questions around how it works and it just, it's a medium that people don't understand, right? So it's, yeah. what I haven't got experience in. And so what I find is really helpful is, is kind of really educating on just what does that process look like and how does it work? So we're kind of working on some visual guides that can kind of really make it clear on the page. Okay, this is, you do this thing and then this happens and then this happens and kind of walk them through that process. So that really can help us on the sales calls. Yeah, one thing that it has really helped with audience apps there is, um, and I go th in in one of the lessons in in productize, I I show this in detail. But mm -hmm. what 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 we basically have is we also have a request a consultation form. They fill that out, and then they book their call on Calendly, and then it redirects to a a page on the site that has a video. It's like mm -hmm. a ten minute, eight to ten minute video. This used to be like the the slide deck that I would show leads live, like one, one to one. And I did that like hundreds of times and kept improving the slides and got better at the delivery and everything until, until I was like, okay, I'm driving myself crazy doing the same presentation <laughs> over and over. Right. So I recorded that in like a really optimal setting, did a couple of takes on it and things like that. And then, and so now after they book the call, but before they get on the call, they're presented with that video. And do they all so, watch it? Do you know that they've all seen it? Like, because that's one of the things I worry about. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't really like track exactly like how far into the video they've watched, but I, but I always ask them, or my salesperson always asks them, you know, have you seen the video? And it's like the very next thing that they see on the page, so it's kind of hard to miss it. Right. But uh, yeah, I mean, almost all of them do watch it because it it does answer all of those most common questions that we get about our process, our onboarding process, we re reiterate the pricing and, and all this different stuff. And so then, then by the time they get on the call with us, you know, it's, it's a little bit more about like building rapport and, mm. and, uh, and getting comfortable. They're still going to have a few more questions for us to answer, but, but yeah. all the nitty gritty of like the process kind of stuff and, and even the pricing, like they come into the call, like already pretty clear and, and at least like 50% of the way sold on it. You know? Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that's 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 what I want to get closer to. <laughs> I, I, one of the things I find that really works well on sales calls that I, I spend a bit of time doing as well is I, I find it tends to sort of help with building trust and kind of them seeing us as a real authority. It's just kind of giving real uh, just tips and advice. Like, I, you know, people talk about in, in your written content and, and all that kind of stuff, kind of just giving away everything. And actually, I tend to do that a lot on sales calls as well. I was really nervous of it at the beginning 
It's like, oh, if I tell them what tools we use and how they can get this done by themselves, then that will kind of really, they'll go do by themselves. Um, but actually, what I found is that, you know, pulling out some pieces that are really specific to their needs and, and the kind of problems that they've got and the questions that they have really builds a level of trust and kind of, yeah, builds that authority in, in the conversation that, that kind of really has done, has served us well so far. Um, so yeah. I feel like I mean, that's- a lot of times, like explaining all those tools and all the processes that go into it, like that sort of reinforces how much work goes, <laughs> goes exactly. into this and, how, and how much work they don't want to do. Exactly. Exactly. It feels scary when you first start doing it. But what I found is um, after you've done it a couple of times, everyone's always just like, oh, wow, that's really helpful. That's amazing. And then you get a bunch of follow up questions on email and, and it kind of really helps kind of uh, yeah. solidify things. What I found is that a lot of the people who come to audience ops, like, they've already tried doing it themselves, mm. you know, they, or it, so either they've been doing stuff in house or they hired like a single freelancer and either one of those, like it just got overwhelming or didn't work out. And, and so they've already felt that pain. And so they already know the value of, of all the work that goes into it. It's just about getting comfortable with us basically. Yeah. Nice. Sadly, that's rarely the case for us. I wish I had that problem. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I, I would like, cause I started like outsourcing my podcast editing after I did my own for a while, mm. like knowing how, how time consuming it was. Yeah. It's interesting. I think a lot of the businesses that come to us that they know from the start, we want to like a lot of them come at different stages. Like they fully fleshed out the whole concept or they're, they've just, they just, their bosses told them they want to go get a podcast. So they've got to go find someone that can help them make a podcast. Um, but right, right. because it's, um, I don't know, I guess you know, a lot of people have tried writing an article and then realize actually this is really hard. And then, and then they look for people to help. I think with podcasting, a lot of, a lot of people, not everyone will look at it and go, ah, this is too much. I'm just going to go with an agency from the start. So we kind of, yeah, kind of coach them right from the beginning, I guess. Yeah. Cool. So you've got a couple of different services or like different things that you do from launch to production distribution. And then as we talked about earlier, you, you've got some internal podcast stuff going on. Like, right. Can you walk us through that? And how does that break break out in terms of like your sure. pricing and packages yeah so i guess our best clients by far are the ones that that don't already have a podcast some people do come to us and they say we've already got this show but we want to kind of really take it to the next level we want to improve the production we want to grow our audience you know whatever their kind of pain is and it's usually around kind of growing an audience and so we always we love working with those clients and we do that but by far and away the best clients for us are ones that haven't had a podcast before and we can really walk them through that whole process from the beginning and and kind of get them set up right it's much easier to make things right from the beginning than it is to kind of try and change change the setup as it exists already to try and repair something but uh, yeah so we have like a launch pro a launch package for for clients that haven't um, podcasted before and uh, i guess a, a sense of pricing is anywhere from 2500 to 5000 dollars depending on kind of what the the needs are there but really kind of what we're helping clients to do is come up with not just you know setting up their hosting account and uh, making some artwork but it really the conversation we have is around is around branding it's around goals for your podcast like what is the strategy why why do you have this podcast what purpose is it here to serve uh, how can we make the content for that show fit that need that you have and, and kind of deliver on those goals that you've got? And so that that becomes, that really kind of feeds into everything. You know, what kind of show should it be? Who are you going to be speaking to? What are the topics? What, you know, what's what does that sort of content look like? Um, and then obviously with the branding as well. So like, how does it look? How does it sound? What music should we have? Or do we have sound effects or something like that? And then, you know, the naming of the show and the description, all these kind of things that help for SEO is actually super important, you know, like... Um, podcast seo um so like apple podcast or stitcher or spotify getting discovered on those platforms it's really important that we kind of crafting the setting the sharp right so that it kind of meets all those things so i guess that's the that's the, the kicking off point is going through the, the launch process and what we do with with all of our clients as well is based off their needs that we've already discussed we can then put together like a, a growth plan for that show so it's like how are we going to get the people that you want to listen to this thing listen to it and in some cases it might be like the client I mentioned with CIOs, actually, he'd be stoked if he got 100 CIOs listening to that show. So he's not shooting for tens of thousands of downloads. He's shooting for the exact kind of listener. And in other yeah. cases, it's it's they're more interested in in volume. They want lots of people to listen to this thing. And so we can kind of craft a, a plan to sort of help achieve those those goals, whatever they are. So I guess, yeah, that's, that's where we start things off is with the, the launch package. Very cool. And so, I, I mean, I have so many questions about how to optimize... <laughs> You know, some of those things that you, that you talked about, Sure. both, like you said, like the podcast SEO, getting found in the directories, but also distribution and how to, how to actually grow your listenership. So, so maybe we could try to come back to that in sure. a little bit here. 
Absolutely. But so from what I understand, correct me if I'm wrong, the, the launch package is kind of like a one-time purchase. Exactly. Yeah. So that's the, the one-time sort of upfront consulting gig. And then we've got a bunch of options after that. And they, they range anywhere from like our, our base package, which is just like the sort of basics of audio editing, writing show notes, and, and uploading to your media host. We can That's around $1,700 a month for a weekly podcast. And then we go up from there. So we have basically our sort of core packages, I guess, are around the, the three, five and nine K a month range, which, and that involves all of that stuff that, uh, well, I guess we alluded to, we didn't really talk about it before. Um, it's kind of making that, the, you know, the best podcast in your, in your niche basically. And, and so that's yeah. where we're really shooting for kind of a, an NPR BBC in my, in my part of the world kind of yeah, level sure. production. And so kind of really making, thinking about going beyond just a straight interview format show, but how can we make something that's kind of like a, a real, you know, a documentary, a story-led narrative like an audio piece. documentary. Exactly. Yeah, that's right. That's interesting. I mean, I, I've heard, obviously, I listen to those, those kinds of shows, and I've always sort of like wondered like what goes into creating like an NPR-style mm. audio documentary show. I mean, what, what does go into that? Like, are you like writing out the script and figuring out like, we're going to cut to this, and then we're going to go to this interview, and then, and then exactly. cut back to this? Like exactly. It's where it gets really fun for me, to be honest. <laughs> I actually sadly don't get to do too much of this work. It's the team that, that does it, but I, it's a really creatively satisfying kind of thing to do. So, so to your question, yes, we'll, we will sketch out the, the kind of arc of a season, for example. Um, we might do, you know, let's, let, there'll be like a run of eight episodes and then we'll take a break and do another eight run. So we'll have a, a vision of like, what does that whole arc of the season look like? What topics are we trying to cover? And then we'll go into each individual episode. And so we'll say, okay, well, we want to have, let, let's say a 30 minute podcast what's the story we want to tell in this like and again it comes back to that point i mentioned before of who's the who's the target listener what's the purpose this podcast is serving what do we need to to get across in this 30 minutes and so then we can pick i guess the core difference between the kind of show that we're talking about here and like a regular interview show is that we'll have multiple guests and so we'll be thinking okay what are the main plot points of this story who are the people who are the experts that are able to 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 fill in those knowledge gaps for us we can then plan the questions that we ask those folks to to kind of deliver on that. We do those interviews. And then once we've done those interviews, we'll pull that apart and take really tiny sentences here and there from various sections of their interviews that kind of just give us the answer. And then it's our job to to write narration and scripts that kind of link all of that stuff together and tell the story overall. And that's where having a really great host is super important as well, because they have to be able yeah. to kind of deliver that in a really great way. So that's a really I mean, just, short just version of it, but to, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, like just listening to shows like that, it just sounds like so much time and effort goes into creating a single episode. I, I, if you think about the the podcast, like Serial, for, for right. instance, and, and there are so many more like it with this format, but yep. yeah, I mean, they're, they're going from tiny clips of interviews to the narrator taking you from one part to the next to music and, and all this different stuff. So exactly. Yeah. And, uh, well, I mean, sadly we've never made anything, uh, I wouldn't, um, claim to be making anything as incredible as, as serial. That was years in the making, but, uh, but yeah, certainly, certainly a ton of research goes in and a ton of planning. Like I mentioned before with an interview, you really need a very clear idea of what you're going to get out of, of, of each guest when you speak to them. Cool. And then, so, and so like, how does, how does all this stuff or like your, your packages? And I also want to dig into your process and your team a little bit, but like, how does that stuff kind of change when we're talking about the internal podcast or the private podcast, or is it mostly right. the same, except the audience is just private? It can be the same, except the audience is private. We, we tend to find the content is much less story-based narrative led. We don't kind of tend to do that level of production for an internal show. We find there's a, a few kind of core use cases for internal shows and they would be things like sales training or any form of training basically but particularly for people that are on the road a lot so it tends to be salespeople. top-down kind of company updates so the cio saying you know instead of having sending out a, a blast email that no one reads you know the ceo he or she can you know update on on what's going on in the company and we've got a few clients that do that and and we sort of introduce a few other things into the format like we have one client who They'll do the company update and then they'll go into questions from from employees who've submitted questions over the week, which is great because it adds that community thing you mentioned, but also it's interactive and it, it means people are actually kind of engaged and listening. And And then they have like a, a quiz where they'll take like some senior member of staff and they'll do a thing called truth, truth, lie, where they have to, you know, tell two truths about themselves and one lie and the CEO has to figure out which one's the lie. And it kind of just adds a bit oh, of like cool. lightness to the whole thing. And, and it's fun. So um, I guess all of that to say, 
you know, the internal shows are generally um, a bit more simple in their kind of production style, I guess, because we're not sort of going out and sourcing loads of speakers and writing stories and stuff. It's more, it's more about the information that they need to get across and, and finding formats like with the, the quiz of how we can make that kind of engaging and interesting. Because as we know, when I, I certainly used to work for large enterprise businesses and company updates are not always the thing that you're kind of most stoked to, uh, to start thinking about on a Monday morning. So we try, we try to make it a bit more entertaining. Yeah, cool. So like, can you t- take us through like your team and, and process like who who's on your team? What are, what are those different roles and, and who does what? Sure. So I still head up uh, sales and marketing. So that's kind of my job, I guess, at the moment. But I've sort of we've recently hired basically I, I was in the setup originally was that we just hired everybody on a per deliverable basis. So it was all contractors, freelancers who kind of did the work and build per client, basically. But I made the decision kind of late last year to to take on someone who was managing most of our client projects as a as full-time employee who has been absolutely incredible and has just really allowed me to to step away from the day-to-day delivery of stuff um and so his name's daniel it's he's kind based of like in, a like an operation like a head of operations kind of role exactly that and so he's just been absolutely awesome his name's daniel he's based in uh, alabama so he's on kind of a much closer timeline to many of our clients a lot of our clients are in the states and so he really manages, yeah, client interaction, manages the workload with the team and then the delivery of that to the to the client and oversees everything. And we kind of catch up once or twice a week uh, on all his stuff. So he's been phenomenal and a huge kind of a huge part of kind of making us a, in a position to grow, basically. And then we also have Alex, who's our main audio editor. And he, again, just this year, in fact, um, in January, we've sort of brought him four days a week. And so he's, he's, we can just, I've been working with him long enough now that I just know I can trust him with everything. And when we just throw all of, all of the audio editing his way, and he's now actually hosting some of our shows We're we're finally making some podcasts of our own and he's kind of heading those up, which is fun. Oh, very cool. Yeah. And then we, then we have Kyle, our, our, our VA who is based in the Philippines and he manages all kind of client kind of scheduling tasks and does a bunch of backend operational stuff for me. And then the rest of the team is all still on a contract basis. So our, the writers that do show notes, some other audio editors, Isabel, who's our phenomenal writer who does kind of those narration stories that we talked about. So yeah, that's more or less the structure of the team at the moment. And then every now and again, when we have a particular project, we do, it is sort of, you know, the business is productized and subscription-based, but we do have some clients that kind of come to us for a single project and they might want six episodes of a season. And so I will sometimes bring in kind of external producers to sort of pretty much man- manage that themselves. And so, but yeah, that's very much like a, a project to project kind of, kind of system. Huh. So like what, what would like an external producer do? I was actually, I was going to ask like, is that like the creative direction behind like, like, like we were talking about those like NPR style episodes exactly, and yeah. weaving those together? Yeah. So, so Isabel is our, our person internally who does that for, for our shows that are kind of ongoing. But for example, we did a, a series with a, a business that was sort of doing a huge development project on the side of this town in, in the UK. So they were like doubling the size of this small town in Cambridgeshire. And they wanted something to reach out to the community, basically. And, and they, so they put, put a six-episode series to really educate around what this project was. So they wanted something that was really highly produced, high-quality narrative and all that story-led. And so, you know, we didn't, I didn't have the time or the capacity to kind of manage that in-house. And so I just have um, kind of worked with a few producers regularly to to kind of handle that. And basically I can then hand almost, so I'm still managing the client and the and the project, but they will pretty much do everything else. And they'll be, you know, um, kind of a, a traditional radio producer, basically. So they'll go out, they'll do the reporting on the scene, they'll do the editing, the writing and, and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Very cool. And so, uh, you know, when it comes to all of this, especially your process and your operations, but even down to like your packages and things like, can you point to anything through the time that you've been running this business that you learned that like you needed to change or adjust or or improve like any of those like turning points where it was like once we figured this piece out things really started to to pick up. Yeah, um, to be honest, I would say the the big thing comes back to hiring and just trusting people to to do uh, like Daniel the the project manager I, I mentioned the content manager his title is he is so much better at this than I am. <laughs> like and um uh, he's just so much more organized, so much more on it. And, you know, I'm, I was dropping, dropping balls left, right and center when I was in charge of, you know, 20 clients and Daniel is just constantly organized and on top of things. And the freedom that that has allowed both from hiring, hiring Daniel and also Alex to do the audio editing, because I was still doing a lot of audio editing kind of six months ago, has freed up a huge amount of time for me to really focus on these things that we're working on now, like our positioning and our, our marketing and sales and so on. 
and processes. So that that for me has by far been the biggest thing. I mean, I definitely see the argument for keeping all of your staff on as you know contractors and freelancers, because that definitely means, especially in the climate that we're in right now, you can scale up and scale down as is needed. And and I 100% can can see the value in that. But I think for me that the huge the huge value has has been in kind of hiring people that I know that are highly capable and I can trust to to manage certain things so that I don't have to think about them basically and can focus on the things that I do best. Yeah, for sure. Has just been massively game changing without wanting to sound too cliche. Totally. I mean, uh, you know, we have a like a operations type person who who kind of oversees things inside audience ops, especially as it relates to internally being that like go-to person for all of our other team members, especially the other managers, right. like yep. they go to her with their questions instead of me. That's awesome. We're not there yet. That that sounds incredible. <laughs> I mean, yeah that 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 started. I don't know about two two to three years ago, and I, I could literally look back on that time. I remember at the time when when her role started, it was like I like overnight freed up something like twenty hours a week yep. for myself. You know, yeah, it's in- incredible. It was great. Right? Hugely liberating and exciting. It just it suddenly, suddenly, all the things that you want to spend your time thinking about and doing, you're able to do. Yeah, it's been it's been huge. Yeah, it's a really hard role to hire for. There, there are so many capable and and highly organized and highly detail oriented great communicators. Th- those people are out there. They're everywhere. Mm-hmm. But a big part of it is just finding that person that that you've built a rapport with and and trust over time. That's exactly right. And and also just that they they develop such a huge amount of domain expertise. Like Daniel didn't know really anything about podcasting before he worked with me, but now 6 months in, he's a fountain of knowledge of this stuff. And so thinking about, you know, talking to you that the the process wizard. <laughs> um I just uh, I I don't know how uh, that's the, the the main fear for me is if something were to happen to Daniel or Daniel were to just, you know, he's really committed to the team and um, we've spoken about it regularly and I'm really, you know, convinced that he's he's here to stay. But, you know, who knows, right? Like what the future can hold. And so replacing him sounds like a, a, a mean feat at this point. Yeah. I mean, you know, like there, there's always going to be those roles where it's like all this stuff is kind of inside somebody's head. But exactly. at the end of the day, even even when it's a creative role or like an organizational role or technical stuff like even though it requires some creative or technical skills that stuff still can follow a process and you know somebody else can take it over it mm. not to say there there won't be some setbacks when you have to do that turnover but you know that that stuff can certainly be transferred over especially when you've defined the the process mm-hmm. well cool you know like as we sort of like wrap up here and maybe we can kind of bring it back full circle to this year and and the times that we're seeing and and the crazy world around us. I mean, what right. what do you see kind of on the horizon for you as as we head into the summer here in 2020? Like any new initiatives, new uh, adapting the service in any way? Like you know, given what's going on. Yeah. So for for me, it's all about content right now. I think it's um we're really focusing on a few areas. The first is we've never had our own podcast as a company before, and now we we're working on two. One is kind of in the works, and and one is um is out there right now. It's called uh, Work from Home WFH. It's a daily podcast about working remotely. So we want to sort of um yeah trying to put out kind of short episode each each day. So that that for us is going to be I think a real core part of us showing what podcasting you know like a, a like the best use case as we see it for podcasting so i think that kind of that real real life case study i think is going to be uh, really valuable for us yeah what do you do daily on that like what's what's the content so it's all about kind of uh, resources basically the, the the tagline i guess for the show is is um helping you stay productive connected and sane while work, working remotely so it's all just a bunch of resources um strategies like linking to blog posts it's it's kind of it's a bit curatorial in 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 a sense but we're trying to add a bit of kind of opinion and personality and it's very much a work in progress we've really kind of just had this idea a few weeks ago and and pushed it out and it's iterating on a daily basis but we're, we're hoping it can be a really kind of valuable resource and and um so yeah fingers crossed on that but yeah it's a great time to be doing that I think so. I hope so. We'll we'll see. And so yeah, I mean that really is the name of the game for us is 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 content, I think. Um so, you know, we touched on internal podcasting. We don't have any content on the site for that right now, so we're really going to push hard into into that area and and hope that that um is something that will continue to be kind of relevant into the future here as as we I think find ourselves in a new kind of remote environment for for some time to come. I don't think that's going to change any anytime soon even if we do start going back to the office i think more and more so remote work is going to be um a, a rising trend so yeah for sure i it's 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 so weird right now because it's like 
I've been working remotely from home or from coffee shops for like, I don't know, 12 or 13 years now. And it's <laughs> like, like most of us probably listening to this podcast, it's nothing new for us, but it's like right. the rest of the world is just discovering it now. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Exactly. And that's kind of what the podcast is for, for us, I think is, is a lot of it seems so obvious. I'm sitting there listening to the show in the mornings going, this is really odd. But then I've sent it to people that aren't, you know, my friends and family that don't work in that they work in offices and they're just like, oh, wow, this is really helpful. Like I had no idea about this tool or that tool. And um, it's, uh, yeah, I think we're in a really, like I mentioned at the beginning of the show, I think you and I and, and companies like us are in a really sort of privileged position to be to be equipped for this stuff now. And um, whatever we can do to help other people kind of get on with it, I think uh, is something that we, sh- we should be doing. Yeah, for sure. Well, uh, well, yeah, this was a really great chat, Harry. Um, I think I think I learned a lot, and and I think our our audience will, will really like it. So obviously, your your website is LowerStreet.co. You can learn all about their their services and see the updates that they're pushing out um, over there. Anywhere else, people can connect with you. Uh, yeah, awesome. Thanks for having me, Brian. It's been really fun. I am on Twitter at podcast Harry, and uh, yeah, the podcast I mentioned is wfhpodcast.com. So uh, yeah, Twitter or, or the website was, is where to find us. Very nice. Uh, yeah, we'll certainly get all that stuff linked up. Uh, Harry, this was fun. Thanks. Awesome. Thanks, Brian. All right. Did that give you something to think about? If it did, let me know on Twitter. I'm at CastJam. If you want to find show notes on this or any of the other episodes or my weekly newsletter with new content, head over to productizeandscale.com. Now, if you haven't already, a five-star review in iTunes, that would go a long way to helping other folks find the show. Thanks for tuning in. I'll see you next time.